The cutoff story for this week at number 11, headline, first nor'eastern of the season could turn into a bomb cyclone in New England. And I always love a bomb cyclone story, but we're not getting quite into this one. For more details on this story and how the weather turned out last week, check out our website, thisistheconversation.com, and click on the link for this week's podcast, which, of course, for the week ending December the 12th, 2020. But what you guys are really here for are the stories that were the most important. That's 10 through 1, and we'll get to those in mere moments. The stories that you told me were the most conversational. Yes, you did it. Not me, not Wolf Blitzer, not Ali Velshi. Love those guys, but you told me the stories to talk about this week. We'll talk about them in mere moments here on the Weekly Wrap-Up with Jay Cleveland Payne. This is for the week ending December the 12th, 2020. And welcome to the show, Jay Cleveland Payne. That's who I am. This show is the Weekly Wrap-Up. It is a wrap-up of the week's worth of stories we presented via our feeds attached to The Conversation Project, which you can find more about at thisisaconversation.com. Now, this project has had a couple different iterations, a couple different lives, a couple different types of lifestyles, if you will, but it's all basically around the same thing, having conversations with people around the world and what they think and what's going on and what we've done for the past Six or so years has been offer up news stories from around the world and various different sources to find out what news stories, what information, what topics are really the most conversational. Not what's the most overplayed on the mainstream media, not what's played for hits or misses on the left or the right. These are basically a mishmash of all the stories we can find from various different sources. Some of them are really sketchy on purpose, but it is what it is. And you tell us via your interaction, your engagement with them on social media, which ones are the most conversational. That happens by following our Facebook and Twitter feeds. On Facebook, search for This is the Conversation. On Twitter, look for TH underscore conversation. And as you engage in the stories, just like you engage in regular stuff in your feed or go straight to it, that'd be cool. Uh, Read the stories, like the stories, hate the stories, share the stories. The more you click and do things with the stories, the higher the score comes throughout the week. We go from Friday at midnight to Friday about 5 a.m. Central Time to get the full length of the week. And what we do is we take the Facebook and Twitter scores. We put them together in a spreadsheet that weighs them equally, puts them together and have a one true score to go from top to bottom. Top number one, of course, the bottom this week, we added some issues on getting some things in. So 197, only 197 distinct different posts for this week. And we'll talk about the story at 197 a bit later in what we call the almost relevant story of the week. We have a link for every single story that got charted from one to 197 at our Website, this is the conversation.com. As we said, click on the link for this week's podcast, December 12, 2020. And there's a link to a link with every single link we have there and bit discussion for there. So you can see what stories that you may have saw throughout the week that didn't make it in the top 10 or didn't chart anywhere near anything, how they came out over the week. Email us at the conversation inbox at gmail.com to talk about any basic subject you want to. Uh, make sure you're following the podcast by subscribing to it on your favorite podcast app and of course share it with other people and of course this podcast the conversation project powered by you it is powered by you by one engaging with the stories giving us a script to talk about and two partnering up with us or helping us via our affiliate links so go to this is conversation.com slash partnerships if you want to partner up with what we have going on with and be a direct sponsor into this or visit any sponsor you see inside of our newsletter on our website inside of the feed uh, click a link there. We get affiliate income from those links. So if they take good care of you, they'll take a little good care of us, too, as well. So let's get into the countdown for the stories in this week, starting at the story at number 10. 
headline for the story reads, Last Man Standing, Tim Taylor meets Mike Baxter in Home Improvement Crossover. Uh, deadlines are sourced for this one Sunday, the 6th of December, when we posted this one. This gets a bumper response. It means the reason why it's number 10 is because it's more responsive than the story at 11 by 1.33%. Not very much, but it is what it is. So this is a very simple, very kind of cool story. If you are a fan of Tim Taylor, the old two man from Home Improvement, if you're a fan of Mike Baxter, the owner of the store in uh, Last Man Standing, or you're just a fan of the actor himself, uh, despite where you may feel about his politics and some things he said lately, this is a really cool uh, crossover episode that kind of marks a big Tim Allen tribute to himself and a sort of tribute to all the work he's done and the last man standing last man standing is in its final season. It got moved to a different network because of weirdness and things, uh, but it's in the final season. I think it's a shortened season as well. And they're doing some callbacks throughout the season just to sort of give Tim Allen a great send off for the work he's done. And this one is an interesting one. It's a time shifting show where they're time jumping back and forth in some, in some episodes in the episode for some different things. But the cool thing is a part, part of the storyline is that, um, Mike Baxter's wife, and I don't watch the show. My wife loves the show. I don't watch it, so the characters aren't all in my head. But uh, Mike's wife hires a handyman to do some work around the house, and the handyman looks a lot like Mike Baxter because it's Tim Taylor from the Tool Time show, and they're actually played by the same people, you know, time dispersed, actually. So this is going to be interesting if you're a fan of Tool Time or, or, or I should say a fan of Home Improvement. Or uh, you are a fan of Last Man Standing? Make sure you catch this one. This is going to be the pilot, or the, not the pilot, the season opening episode. I believe it actually plays this weekend or played in, within the week. So look for it, check it out, uh, pull it on your DVR and your video on demand, and, and get some Tool Time nostalgia coming down. Uh, no Al and none of the ladies, the sidekicks, will be on this one. Just a uh, Tim Taylor and Mike Baxter. At number nine, this headline reads. Stephen A. Smith goes off on Twitter after someone blames ESPN layoffs on his high salary. Monday, the 7th of December, we posted this one, a bump in response from the number 10 story of 3.95%. This story also a very simple one, a very Disney-focused one, but a very money-focused one. Disney owns ESPN and many other platforms, and a lot of the platforms under the Disney umbrella going way down. Some of them are doing fairly well. Some of them are using the time and things in the can to keep things going. Some of them not so well. Some of them really require hands-on things right now. Movies going out have issues. You heard about Milan going straight to uh, the Disney Plus streaming platform, and so that became a, a issue for people who had to pay a lot of money to see it streaming. Uh, other things coming up, the biggest thing in the cash cow for Disney's portfolio are the theme parks and the actual attractions that people can't come to. Uh, in Disneyland in California, not open. No one's going there. Disneyland's and Disney's parks around the world, not open. Disney World in Orlando open to minor capacity. And, of course, it got helped out by some um, NBA money when they did the bubble down there. But they're not making a lot of big money on some of the big parts. They're not making the same amount of money on little parts. ESPN, it gets a lot of money that comes a part of the deals they pay for folks uh, coming from people being able to get to those events and watch those events real time. There have been issues with that pandemic-wise. ESPN has spent a lot of money and has been kind of shame for it over the last decade, essentially growing things up on the presentation value, but not necessarily giving us more of the actual value in in the actual content. So 
when um, the, when the soccer promoters, the, the soccer announcers was fired, laid off last a couple weeks ago. He put it out on Twitter like everybody else does. Glad to work for Disney. Glad for the time I had. I've been part of the layoffs. Somebody took that and fired off at Stephen A. Stephen A. Because Stephen A. makes a lot of money. He's basically the highest paid on-screen analyst on TV. And he doesn't have as much airtime as he had in the past, but the things he does do, they definitely blow up, like, of course, first take and NBA stuff. And he's there for commentation for very big events. So here's what happened. Stephen A. goes off on the man, reminding him that he may have a high salary, but he's the man who brings the eyeballs to ESPN. Fair enough. That's said. However, let's go deeper into that real quick. I'll do my commentary earlier today. Uh, I was, uh, this is on a personal level, I was extremely amazed when my pastor, my pastor who's written a couple books on on both church diversity and church economics, essentially saying that people don't go to church like they did before, uh, started tossing around the butts and seats uh, analogy, something that I know very, very well from growing up and watching wrestling in the 90s uh, when uh, the big thing was, of course, asses and seats, same, same thing. But the big thing about Hulk Hogan made a lot of money because he put people in seats. People came to see Hulk Hogan, so he got what he wanted and because that brought in the crowd. This is the same thing that Stephen A. is saying. He's saying he's the man that put butts in seats or one of the men who puts butts in seats. And that's why he has survived so many iterations of ESPN and presentation and layoffs and rehirings and reshuffling because people tune in to hear and see and wonder why Stephen A. is on TV talking and saying stuff. It is what it is. He's telling the absolute truth. He is a person that brings people into the network, whether it's all good or all bad. That's kind of a, you know, it's your, your mileage may vary on that one. But uh, he has a point in that ends that keeping getting rid of him means there's less people to do production and make shows because there's less people watching those shows. Now, the reason why they're laying off other people who are other layers in other sports and venues, they're not making the money. And that is an actual reality in the business. The next story, not so simple, extremely tragic. And it is what we call a super story because we combine two headlines that were essentially uh, a part of each other. The same story with updates to make it a larger story uh, on its own. The higher update, the higher level story was right there in the middle of the almost rands. Those are stories we call between 11 and 15, not quite in range uh, together. The two made a story at the number eight spot and the bumpy response from the number nine is 12.66% combined. The story was posted on Sunday, the 6th of December. The original story posted on its on Saturday before day before happening the day before on Friday, believe it or not. Here's your headline for the later story. Family of boy 11 who died after shooting himself during Zoom class says it was not a suicide. Inside Edition provided us this link here. We think we've got the first link from CBS News and their website. And it's a story that's a fairly easy to explain story. But it's not an easy to take in story. During a Zoom class, an 11 year old boy on last Friday was um, in class. His camera was off, but uh, the sound was still on. And the the I believe the actual sound may not have been on. Uh, but the, but what happened was camera was off in the middle of, of class. School was going on. I'm not sure what was in session. And the young boy um, was a young boy shot himself uh, and died at the scene his sister in another room taking her own zoom classes heard the commotion came in and found what found it out 
It was originally reported, reported because it, it was sent seemingly a self-inflicted gunshot wound that the boy died of su- a suicide. Family later came out and said it was not a suicide. It was what they're calling just a freak accident. Uh, so we don't know the full details of what went down other than what went here. As we said, the boy was on in on class, but the camera was off and I believe the sound was off. So no one really knew what was going on. And he was found, unfortunately, by his sister. And it went on. Our thoughts and all our, our thoughts and prayers are definitely going out to the family here and anyone who had a chance to be involved in knowing the young man and just the story becoming a, a national thing with what's going on. And also, anytime we have anything in close to like this, we bring in the chance to remind folks of the suicide, National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, uh, both online and off because of issues like this. I have dealt with issues of depression and thoughts of suicide myself. So I, this is a really big thing when it comes up here and in, in here as in the podcast here, as in the conversation project and just in my general orbit. So a reminder, if you're a person who's needing someone to talk to, if you don't want to just email me and chat, call the suicide prevention lifeline at 800-273-8255, 800-273-8255. The last four digits uh, that spell out talk. You can also go online to suicidepreventionlifeline.org and chat with people there, get get resources there, or find a local uh Suicide prevention or trauma prevention lifeline or service in your town. Find a shrink, find a friend, grab a guy in the street and say, dude, I need help. Uh, Whatever it is that you feel is too stressful to handle, uh, someone will talk to you. Someone will help you get through that. Someone will make sure that you are here tomorrow because it's important that you are here tomorrow and the next day and the next day and as many days as God is allowing you to have here on the planet. So if you have any need, call me, email me, we can chat about it, or dial the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 800-273-8255, and they will help you get the help locally, close to home, that you need to get things taken care of. Let's go to the story at number seven. A suspected Chinese spy slept with at least two mayors and got close to Democratic Rep. Eric Swalwell in year-long's intelligence campaign. Wednesday, the 9th of, of December, September, we, uh, is good when we got this one, 1.12% bump in response from number eight story. I'm all choked up now. So this is a story. I'm not going to go ahead and read. I'm not going to go through and read the whole thing. But this is a story that's just a little bit weird and really, really wonky for this year we have. It's not the weirdest one, but it's just a little bit off. And there weren't all the other catastrophes and calamities going on. The story would get a lot more plain. So a woman, a Chinese national named Fang Fang, who also went by Christine Fang here in the States, uh, who got herself all into the Bay Area political scene and got herself wrapped into Democratic politics, was able to end up sleeping with two Midwestern mayors. That's somewhat their business, but somewhat our business because they're mayors and she was trying to kind of get closer to the scene and did some work, including fundraising work uh, for quite a while for Representative Eric Swalwell. And for Representative Tulsi Gabbard, both of those folks who were running for president uh, in the last election cycle. Now, essentially, Swalwell found out about some shady dealings and cut her her ties from his campaign fairly early. Gabbard did not. Of course, Gabbard's campaign was kind of all shady dealings in its own. And she was um, kicked out of the States for being a Chinese spy. And now we're learning a lot of stuff from old intelligence reports. Not so old, but reports that are now being 
declassified and told to us as regular people what the heck was going on. This has all sorts of weirdness happening. And if Representative Swalwell would have did better in the polls and made a better showing as he ran for president or Representative uh, 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 Gabbard as well, this might be a big bone of contention. This may be the Putin uh, to uh, to those guys uh, as Putin has been kind of the thorn chain anchor around the net neck of Donald Trump for a while. But fortunately or unfortunately, they did not get that far in the presidential politics, but it still is a thing and still reminds us that we as Americans and people in general love these deep down, you know, spy stories. I know, you know, True crime mysteries are what people seems to be the big thing going on right now. But just international espionage, the fact that these things do happen, there are spies going around, James Bonding stuff a lot is interesting. And when we find out about it, it's very interesting and also very scary. And the fact that it's very scary, the links that people go to, that governments go to, and yes, we do it as well, to make sure we have an idea what's going down with the other side. So... Not to say that that very nice woman who is way above your league, who's giving you, you know, winks across the bar is doing some sort of espionage for for their government, especially since you probably don't know all that much. But you never really know, especially if she's way out of your league. Let's move on to the story at number six. Northern lights will be visible over the U.S. tonight. This was posted by the Thrillist, and we put it on the line on Wednesday, the 9th of December. I'm getting my months all confused. I guess I want this year over so quickly. 1.11% bump in response from the number seven spot. Now, this is a story that is obviously far and gone because the the chance to see that was basically Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, this story was posted on Tuesday, I believe, at the Thrillist, and we, it didn't get into our feed until Wednesday. But the chance to see it was in the middle of the week, and it was in the northern parts of the United States, not quite all the way down here in, in Arkansas, and definitely not too much further south. Just natural phenomena gave a chance for the Aurora Borealis, the actual phenomena that is in northern lights, to, to be visible much, much, much further south than normal. Uh, many people got a chance to see it. In some cases, conditions weren't weren't so great. There were still a lot of effects from that nor'easter that we're not talking about from last week uh, to give some weather patterns issues for clouds and things like that. And it just for some some chances, some places just didn't have the right abilities as we thought it would be. But there are some places in North America that normally don't get a shot at the northern lights, the aurora borealis, especially if you're not going all the way up near the the, the Arctic Circle. Got a chance to see some pretty, pretty light shows going on. I did see some people snap some pictures and do some stuff, and it was really great to see it. Like I said, this far south, it was not going to happen. This next story is extremely disturbing, so here's your warning on that one. If you want full details of it, uh, go to our website, thisistheconversation.com. Click the link for this week's podcast, week ending December the 12th, 2020. Glad I got that one right finally. And you can go and see this story listed at number five. The headline is YouTuber allegedly kills pregnant girlfriend and during live stream and viewers reportedly urged him to do it. Friday, the fourth is the day we posted this one bump in response from the number six story of 30.77%. Uh, we pulled this from the the Daily Dot and they describe the whole thing as pretty graphic. They don't have full detailed video of it, but the whole situation is graphic. Here is the basics of what went down. Uh, a YouTuber from Russia uh, essentially was just 
being really vile. And for for whatever reasons, uh, he, he ended up dragging and killing his pregnant girlfriend and actually being egged on by people, including uh, somebody paying uh, about $1,000 on some sort of super chat type type deal because on a lot of YouTube, a lot of people, people make money on YouTube by literally taking tips online in real time to do stuff. Uh, it's a very, very vile, very, very kind of sick type of thing. So I'm just going to, to tell you if you want to go deeper into the story, you need to go click on the link for the story. It is just as bad as I'm as it sounds from the very sketchy and very kind of bad description I'm giving to you, except it's it's worse as you read deeper through it. So you want more details on that one, go ahead and click on the link for that story. This is a story that, by the way, was a number one Facebook story, which is what put it pulled it into the top ten and put it at number five. We talk about the way the numbers work for these actual things and most of the time because the twitter response is so large so quick twitter drives the bus for what gets in the top 10 with facebook sort of maneuvering things to shift some of the gears where things are placed here there this one would not have been even close to top 10 uh without the facebook response very very heavy this week on this one uh so thank you so much for showing the love on facebook and being engaged with it but this was a story that was so so gripping it's it's easy to see why people were so engaged by the story why people got so into the story if you didn't see this one in your feed or this is one that you glossed over the first time and now you're a bit more interested check out the link it's a good story to read it's one of those disjointed type of stories that is clickbaitish by the standards of the website but it goes into detail what happens it's very very disturbing um so there's your warning if you don't want to go into it but you want to go deeper into what's going on and so you can know the type of things that are going on because knowing what's out there that you don't know, it's a good thing. Check it out on the website via our link. You can find it at thisisaconversation.com. Let's move on to the next story, the story that's at number four. This one is, um, this one's not quite as disturbing, but it is, it's, it's, it's a little funny, although it shouldn't be. Your headline. Dolphins head coach Brian Flores tries to fight Bengals Mike Thomas as wild brawl breaks out between two teams after dirty hit. Bro Bible, which brings us stories like this, brought us this story. Monday the 7th, this is a story that gets a bumpy response from the number five story of 5.88%. This was the top story on the Tuesday edition of the 8 Things to Talk About newsletter. Uh, so if you're not subscribed to that, every morning in about... Uh, uh, six in the morning ish and that range from five forty five to six fifteen. We produce a letter central time, of course. We produce a newsletter with eight of the top topics from the previous day. For Monday, it's the previous three days of the weekend that we think will help you be conversational. The original thought process was at the water cooler at work. If you're not going out to work and still having conversations with folks, these are the stories from the day before, about a day, thirty six hours past. That were the top hitters. This one was big on Tuesday. Of course, it happened on Sunday. Uh, so I'm just going to read to you my quick write up we did. We pulled from the story uh, to give you the, the gist of what happened with this one. In the fourth quarter, Bengals wide receiver Mike Thomas laid out Dolphins punt returner Yakim Grant before he could field the punt. And angry Brian Flores immediately ran onto the field to confront Thomas over the hit. A benches clearing bra between the two teams broke out and multiple punches were thrown. 
This was an extremely chippy game in what's turning into an extremely chippy end of the season with a lot of weirdness going on for COVID-19. Now, in a week uh, where we had an issue where a top player returning to play against his former team was big news, all of a sudden, 10 minutes before kickoff, it was big news that he got tested positive for COVID-19 and didn't get a chance to play. That, of course, Des Bryant, who was going to uh, field up against his team, the Cowboys, uh, this weekend, of course, didn't get a chance to. It just was what it was. Uh, but this is the biggest story that popped up sports-wise, football-wise, this week for the countdown. Last week, we had a whole bunch of different football stories going on. Still another football story coming up, by the way. But a whole bunch of different football NFL stuff because it just happened to be that way. This week, this is the big one, and it was a coach wanting to fight a player. Now, I'm not sure exactly what went down. Of course, anytime a punch is thrown, people get ejected and fines are laid out. I don't know the full listing of who got fined and what happened to Brian Flores. I think Flores, who didn't actually get into the fight, will be available to coach the Dolphins this upcoming week, this weekend, or tomorrow as I record this on Saturday. But we shall see going forward. The story listed at number three this week has this headline. Judge dismisses Flynn case following pardon from Trump. Tuesday, the 8th of December is when we posted this one. A bump in response from the number four story of 94.44%. This is an ongoing story, but that may not have much more ongoing because we're, I guess, the actual drop in this case should end it. And the end of the presidency for Donald Trump should end it as well, although he says it's not quite over yet. But Michael Flynn received a pardon from Donald Trump months ago for essentially all the other crimes that he was convicted of uh, and all the things that led up to that, including lying to the FBI and all the shady things that he did behind the scenes and getting up to the election and getting into or not he not in office, but getting into his position in the cabinet or in, in the administration, just in the cabinet. Uh, and the pardon basically says you're free, you're clear, all things are done go forth and do hopefully great things. The problem was Michael Flynn was actually being retried and re sued and recharged with other things that were stemming from uh, some nagging issues with the other accounts. But the main pardon, although isn't necessarily a blank shutdown and clearance of everything essentially became a blank clearance shutdown of everything at this point in time, Michael Flynn more or less free to do what he wants to do at this point because the judges are deciding not to deal with what's going on. Essentially, assuming that that Trump, if he's still in power, could still re-pardon Michael Flynn, which makes weird little sense, but it's weird. Or basically just taking the fact that he got the first pardon and just leaving alone all the kind of string details that were kind of lingering from what's going on. What Michael Flynn goes does going forward I don't know. We'll see what the turn is in Republican politics or just anyone, just kind of the fringe politics in general. Once the Biden administration is actually installed, I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. Uh, But we will see what Michael Flynn has going for him, if not some sort of commentary role or an advisor to some sort of think tank that's working to make its way back to Republican power in 2024. Maybe it'll work on the Trump campaign again. Who knows? We'll see. We will all see on this one. Now, the number two story is one that we thought about putting an update to because the, the, the implications of the story, it's a football story, college football, uh, were the bigger story, we would say. But we didn't. And this one with the main headline is big enough. But we'll talk about it all in so it all makes total sense. Wednesday, the 9th of December, when we posted this story with a bump in response from the number three spot 
of 8.16%. The headline, Michigan-Ohio State football game called off due to COVID-19 cases with Wolverines. The extremely crazy college football season that's going on with uneven amounts of games from teams from the power conferences is going to be interesting when they start counting down to who gets to play. Actually, they're already in the mix of figuring out who's in the top for the championships because we're basically at championship weekend, basically right here in the next week or so, based on whatever school you have gone to or whatever conference you're dealing with. But because some of the other conferences, including SEC, the one that I'm more affiliated with because I'm in the South and I'm around that, have played more or less a full slate of games against all other conference uh, uh, people. They have larger conferences, so they have more games to play since many schools on the smaller venues and many schools just didn't even play football at all. Well, the power conferences, uh, most of them, well, two of them bowed out pretty early. The other three went forward, and then the other two had to catch up and play since they, the other ones didn't follow suit. One of those being the Big Ten. And the Big Ten, because there's – only so many teams, actually it's 12, which is kind of weird, um, only so many teams, only so many games you get a chance to play against each other. And in this case, the Big Ten announced that Ohio State will actually get a chance to play in the championship, even only playing five games in the season, because they made an early rule that you must play six games to qualify for the championship game. But Ohio State's one of the best teams in the nation. I believe it's listed at number four ranking right now and one that most schools believe should have a shot at the big championship. But because Michigan had a very, very bad COVID breakdown, had to cancel the game they had with Ohio State, not have a rivalry game as they usually do with Ohio State big time rivals. And of course, uh, Michigan, it was almost thought that it was a way to kind of thumb their nose at Ohio State and keep them out of the runoffs. They're going to get a chance to play in the championship anyway. I believe they're playing against Northwestern, if, if my, my memory serves right in this thing. That game's not for two weeks because this was supposed to be the weekend of the rivalry matchup. But this is one of the things that have played out really, really insanely in this season of COVID-19 for all seasons, throwing everything off. I told you about Des Bryant uh, not being able to play against the Cowboys this weekend and not finding it out till basically 10, 15 minutes before kickoff. Uh, this uh, whole game's uh, scrapped. We have schedules going on. Most of the SEC teams, because let's say this was follow, uh, because of larger conference, a larger conference and splitting in two halves, they'll get about seven or eight games in, even with uh, most teams that had to cancel, reschedule games for COVID. They'll get seven games in easily. Ohio State will only have five games in for this regular season, which is an oddity in itself. But they're going to get a chance to play for the championship and win or lose. If they, They're expected, even if they lost this game against Michigan, they were going to the championship anyway because they had the best record for, uh, for the entire conference, as small as the game records were this year. We will see how exactly this college football playoff system will work this year, how bowl games will work with so many teams not playing, and the fact that no one can travel to any of these games. This has been an interesting year, interesting year for sports, very interesting for college sports, and we're seeing right now basketball. Uh, some of the big-time coaches are rebelling against the fact that they're playing games or scheduling games and they're not getting played because of COVID outbreaks. And the number one story this week, it gets fanfare because it made number one. This is another story that basically so far off my radar, I still don't particularly care, but you guys cared. You give me the lineup. You tell me what they're talking about. And this is what we're talking about. Somebody cared enough. Uh, this was a top Twitter story, which mainly why it's at the top. It gets a bump in response from the number two story of 69.41% for 
From the number 10 story, that story being Tim Taylor meeting Mike Baxter on TV, which is an oddity in itself, 490%. And the story at the very bottom of the list this week, number 197, the almost relevant story of the week, which we'll tell you that headline in just a bit, 14,866% more responsive than that story there. So what is her headline? Jody Comer says she's ignoring social media after rumors of her boyfriend's Trump support. Posted to the world on Saturday, the 5th of December. And as we said, your bumping response of 69.43%. Oh, by the way, the engagement on this story of all the stories throughout the week, almost 10% for this story itself, 8.7% in that engagement. We'll go through the rest of the engagement for everything else in just a minute. But let's get to Ms. Comer because that's what you guys want me to get to. I'm going to back off a commentary of this one, other than the fact that this is a social media and a person that I really could care less about. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and hype the newsletter again. The eight things to talk about newsletter, you can find links to subscribe to it here in the, well, when you click the link to watch, see the, the replay stuff and all the links for the show at thisisconversation.com. It's also all over our feeds. We'll pop through, pop up every couple of days there as well. Uh, if you get a newsletter, someone sends you one, there's a link to it right there. Also, how to become a Patreon sponsor. Uh, just in case you missed that part out earlier. But this was the number one story that got through the weekend this week. So the top story on the Monday edition of the eight things to talk about newsletter. And I'm going to read you what the point is, and then I'm going to gloss it over quickly. And then I'm going to move on because, like I said, this is one I don't particularly follow. The Killing Eve star, 27, began dating Massachusetts lacrosse player James Burke over the summer. Shortly after their relationship became public, Rumors began circulating on social media that Burke was a Republican and a Trump supporter, leading to the hashtag Jody Comer is over party. Read that three times fast to begin trending on Twitter. The full story we pulled from um, the MSM website, and it's an aggregative of the story, so you can see where it came from there. But essentially, this is a young person in Hollywood. And even though the vocal majority will let you know that people are extremely liberal lovers of the show Killing Eve, it is also kind of a uh, non-story in the fact that people are very vocal about the people they like and people they hate. So because so many people have a very polarizing idea of Donald Trump and they believe that the star is a Hollywood person who, you know, you know, loves Hollywood and loves you know liberalism and Biden and all the great liberal things that the conservatives seem to hate. Uh, she got she got some some beef on this one, and she didn't flat out say she was deleting her social media because she didn't do it. She just said she was ignoring what was going on, what was being said because she has a relationship with her man James Burke, and he's a lacrosse player of all things, and he said some things that were pro Trump, and so what? It is what it is. That's exactly what you said. So whatever commentary you get for this one is we are should be post-election. Hopefully we'll be post-election by the time we have an inauguration and a new installation of a president. Uh, But at this point in time, we got to do the even if it's sort of just a cliche, the healing, the come together, the getting over uh, the hard feelings or getting over some of the great feelings, if you will, and moving forward. The nation has a lot of other bigger things to deal with other than the fact that the guy you didn't vote for didn't make it in or the guy you voted for made it in, but it's not doing enough stuff for you to make you happy. Joe Biden is the president-elect. Kamala Harris is the vice president-elect. I'm going to tell you up front and personal, that's the ticket I voted for. 
And that's not the ticket I'm happy I voted for, but that was the choice I was given. And those weren't the candidates that I was hoping to have a chance to vote for, but they're the ones on the ballot to vote against the person that I didn't want to vote for, which is Donald Trump. Send your hate any way you want to. Send your love if you want to. That would be great. But here's the deal. Donald Trump is the president for another month or so. Joe Biden will be the president going forward until he's not. Next four years, next eight years, maybe because people are worried about his health, he won't last out the term and Kamala Harris gets a shot. But none of that stuff has happened. And when it does happen, we deal with it. Let's actually be Americans and deal with it. We need to be happy about the progress in getting COVID-19 under some symbol of wraps, even though it's not technically under wraps. We need to be happy about trying to figure out a way to get everybody out there a nice, decent wage or a something to help pad things until they can get their own decent wage. We need to just kind of just be nice and smile at people. Smile, do more smiles. I asked in a, in a, in a live stream I do every week to just ask people for Christmas year, I want more smiles, even if they are under all those masks and hard to tell because we just need more positive energy. I don't watch Killing Eve. I don't care about Killing Eve. I don't know what Jodie Comer is. I don't know who James Burke is. I think lacrosse is really cool, but I've never actually played it. And none of those things really, really matter in the grand scheme of things. They matter this week because you made it a top story for here, and that's how this thing works. And I will talk about what 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 you want to talk about, and I will go into detail on my feelings and how things seem to come out. But this just seemed to be a big rumor mill type Twitter expansion trending thing, which is how it got here. I'll close out on this. I'm very glad that no Carl Lenz or Hillsong stories made in the top ten this week because. We had two within the week, and I'm just sick and tired of that story. Some stories in some situations, uh, although they are extremely controversial and extremely conversational uh, for you know for some people, just some general just ideas, they get a little old and they get tired and get to be just piling on. Hillsong right now is it's trending off of Carl Lenz and onto the church having issues, which is going to ripple down to other churches, which turns to something else I have to deal with. But I'm glad that even though that's been a streak that's going forward, it apparently has been cut for at least a moment. Hopefully no more streaks of weird Trumpy stuff is going to um, basically come down now. We can move forward. We can try to move forward. And we're moving forward by talking about the engagement and the numbers right now. As I said, uh, the Jody Comey story had 8.7% engagement of all the stories throughout the week. Throughout the almost 200, 197 stories this week, it took 8.7%. Of the top 10 stories, more or less in range, 31.56%. That's basically in range of what the top 10 stories usually take. Of the almost rands in 11 through 15, 6.78%. A little high, but it's still pretty much unbelievable. At the very bottom of the show, at the very bottom of the story list, the last thing we're going to talk about, 0.06%. That's actually a little high for the almost relevant story of the week, so we'll give it that much. Uh, it, it's actually it's just a little high for for engagement there, but sometimes it happens. This is a story that actually pulled out what we normally expect to be an almost relevant story. That's something that's post late on the Thursday, early on the Friday. We close things up. That's what happened with this one. On top of everything, Twitter had the responsiveness or the engagement, I should say. The total engagement responsiveness of 83.07%, while Facebook this week, especially high off the story about the YouTuber um, killing his girlfriend, 
16.93%. We had a lot of big time stories hit from Facebook this week, and most of those were tragic type stories that trended on Facebook. But Facebook got a big jump this week beyond its normal uh, under 10%. We'd like it to stay that way. We just wouldn't like it to be based on the stories that we had this week that brought it up. So your headline for the very, very bottom story, which is along those same lines of just bad stories we don't like to talk about. But this is one that you didn't grab a hold on to, which I'm actually glad about. Your headline from posted from Friday, the 11th of December. Louisiana assistant principal allegedly killed pregnant teacher then left victim's daughter three in car. There really is no delicate way to, to handle this. I'm going to read a few lines from the story, and then we'll do the wrap-up stuff going on. It's very, very hard to end the show on such a just a, a, a heavy note, especially with so many heavy stories we had this week. But let me get to you the, what was written up in People magazine. A Louisiana man, formerly employed as an assistant principal, has been indicted on second by a second time by a second grand jury for allegedly murdering a pregnant colleague back in 2016. On Tuesday, a grand jury in Iberia Parish indicted Robert J. Marks, 42, on charges of second degree murder, feticide, kidnapping, aggravated kidnapping of a child, obstruction of justice, and multiple gun related offenses. Marks is accused of killing Lynette Washington, who was a teacher, online prison reports confirm charges. According to WAFB, Marks was initially indicted by grand jury in East Baton Rouge Parish. However, a judge recently ruled the case should be moved to Iberia Parish, where Washington's body was found, the station reports. Washington's body was found in a ditch in Rosedale, according to investigators who believe she was actually fatally shot in East Baton Rouge Parish. Marks, who has long maintained his innocence, was initially charged in East Baton Rouge Parish with murder and feticide. Go deeper into the story by clicking on the link inside of our website. This is conversation.com. It's for the podcast for the week ending December the 12th, 2020. I've had a lot of problems saying that date today. I should write it in bigger letters, I guess. But this week's podcast, this week's countdown, this week's numbers, this week's expression of creativity, and this week's uh, real-time talk about what you said were conversational, and in the last bit, not quote so quite so conversational, is now over. A quick reminder, because of the stories and the heavy content we have this week, we want to just let you know that we know that the holiday season is a really rough time for folks, and definitely this entire year has been a really rough time for folks. And for just people in general, life is tired for just folks. If you need someone to talk to to help you alleviate some of the stress and move forward to something much better, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 800-273-8255. That's 800-273-8255. Last four digits spell out talk. You can also go to nationalsuicidepreventionlifeline.org or find a local resource to help you out or email us, the conversation inbox at gmail.com, about anything like this or any of the story things we posted this week, basically anything. Email us. We'll get back to you as quickly as we can. Don't forget that this podcast, the conversation project itself, is powered by you. Stop by thisistheconversation.com slash partnerships and see if you're willing to um, come in and help us keep things going on with this here. If not, if that's a little too much for you, uh, just try to stop by one of our sponsors, one of our affiliate uh, links on any of our platforms, the website, on the newsletter, inside the feed. As you get served by them, we get a little bit of affiliate commission from them, so that helps things go as well. The biggest way you can help is to share the podcast, share the links with other folks, and, of course, 
make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss out on the episodes themselves. Seeing the downloads is the biggest thing we get from this and seeing all you people getting into the stories and, of course, responding back is always cool. We are on all the platforms you're looking for. We're somewhere there. Look for Weekly Wrap-Up with Jay Cliff and Payne, and we're there. Blue speech bubble-looking thing. You'll find us out there. That's uh, basically how this thing works. If you like us, let us know. If you don't like us, let us know so we can fix it. And just keep on living, keep on doing, keep on being engaged. As we say, these are the stories that you say are most conversational based on what's out there in the news. And sometimes it does get kind of tricky. We've got to fill... Try to fill 24 hours a day worth of stuff every 50 minutes. So some of the stories get a little less um, serious. Some get a little heavy. And some of them do lean towards the mainstream media push and things. But most of the times you shift them out and we see things that are not exactly the overrun redoing of the breaking news. That's not exactly breaking. We thank you for that. You do the heavy lifting on that end. But I am very glad to present for you what's done at the end. The stories you say are most important. This is the part where I say thank you, thank you, thank you three times. So yeah, you already just did. And wrap things up. So we're uh, tying up these things in a knot and a bow right now. Uh, a double knot just so it doesn't come untangled. We're preparing more stories. More stories have been posted since we cut this thing off to prepare for the weekend. So find out what stories will last the weekend as tops by going to our newsletter for eight things to talk about. Find the information that at the website. And, of course, be here next week on the podcast. Find out what stories lasted the entire seven days and five hours to see which ones are the most conversational per you. See you next week. This is the Weekly Wrap-Up with Jake Levin-Payne.